Let's talk about the future of news. I want you all to know that we are fighting the fake news. The state of journalism today. Telling both sides of a, of a controversial story. I think we must be unbiased. It's uh, honesty, fairness, uh, truth. That is our job. That is our job. That is our job. The assumption of knowledge is a dangerous thing, and in a social media era when hot takes are hard currency, it's very easy to be very fast and very wrong. One of the latest and hottest cultural battlefields is the issue of transgender people, and the way their lives have become a political and societal football will be familiar to many who have found themselves in a minority at any given point in time. The faster the world moves, the more inclined I am to try to pump the brakes a little bit and try to create some space to work out what's actually going on. I've no problem admitting that my understanding of transgender people and the challenges they face is at best basic and at worst spectacularly off the mark. With that in mind, I put out a call on Twitter last week to find someone who could answer my questions and educate me about the correct and most respectful way for journalists and editors to address the issue. Activist and trans woman Aoife Martin came to my rescue and I'm very grateful to her and to everyone else who offered to talk to me. If you get as much out of listening to her as I did out of talking to her over Skype, then we may just have made some progress. Aoife, I suppose I'd just like to start by uh, by apologising, I suppose, because I'm coming at you here from a position of ignorance, which is the whole reason for this call with you. So um, could we maybe start by uh, asking you about the media landscape as a trans person when you're looking at the media when you're listening to your radio and you're watching your tv what do you see how do you see trans people portrayed um unfortunately not in a very good light at the moment um, especially in the uk um there's quite a negative uh, narrative around trans people at the moment because certain you know, certain narratives are, are creeping into the media over there. Um, like just last week, we had Graham Lenehan appearing on Newslight to talk about trans issues. Um, we often see other um, non-trans people talking about trans issues. And I think that's one of the biggest problems is that um, we're seeing people who aren't trans discussing trans issues, debating our existence, talking about issues that are solely related to the trans community. So I think um, it can be quite negative. So I think that's something that I'm very cognizant of and something that really, really should be addressed, which is why I, I agreed to, to talk to you about it, because I think it's, it's very important that we, we have trans voices and listen to them. If, if we sort of look at the timeline of the transgender people in general right this this seems to be something that has come to the fore in the media very very recently but if i go back to my own youth and listening to you know lou reed records and that kind of thing it's always been there so you know how do you see it as a person who sort of you know maybe might have a little bit more knowledge of the, of the history of the movement and of the issue you know where does this begin and end and how has it developed for you yeah, well, I agree. I mean, I think it's similar to what you're saying there. Actually, like, I mean, obviously, I've I've always been aware, um, and there was very little trans representation when I was growing up. You know, you know, we had we had Lou Reed, we had various bits and pieces around. But I think the fact that it's come to the fore recently is because there is so much more visibility around trans people, mm. and because we are much more visible and much more outspoken, that means, um, you know, people are talking about us a lot more. So I think. That's why we're seeing, I mean, it might seem like an explosion, but it's only because trans people are more visible and that gives courage to other 
trans people to come out and to be themselves and it gives courage to trans kids to be themselves and you know i think we're, we're getting a much more of an understanding around trans issues uh, we're getting a much better um, insight into what it is to be transgender and i think that people are, are, are trying to understand so there's, there's a lot of talk around it there's a lot, a lot of you know there's been a lot of media reports around it and I think social media has helped enormously as well. Um, in that there's been quite an explosion of of people on social media discussing trans issues. So it's been yeah, it's it's been quite a journey from you know when I was a kid growing up in Ireland in the 70s where it wasn't mentioned, um, to to now where it's 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 everywhere. And you know it's only right that we're that we're actually now getting our voices heard. Um, you should by no means feel obliged to share your own experience, but I would like to ask you where you went to look for information at the point where you realized that maybe that, you know, you felt differently or maybe that uh, you weren't how people perceived you to be. So, so where did you go when you started to, to question these things and to realize that this was how you felt? Yeah, um, I mean, that's that's a good question, because um, I grew up in a time when we didn't have the internet, so there was very little information out there. And I also grew up in a country that was quite repressive at the time. Um, so I suppose, um, you know, I garnered as much information as I could from you know newspaper articles, from from library books, as, as much as I could. Like, I, I would pore over newspapers, pore over library books. Um, but I suppose the, 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 the place I went to when... I finally sort of plucked up the courage to go. Yeah, I need, I need some proper information around this. I went to the um, the Irish Family Planning Association in Dublin, um, okay. and you know they had some some books around the issue that I bought there, and you know that was enormously helpful. But at the time, it was probably the only place I could have went to. You know. Um. You know, even growing up in Dublin, um, I'm not sure where we are in terms of age in relation to one another. I'm 48 years old. I grew up, I would imagine, in a similar Ireland to you. Uh, I think you grew up outside of Dublin where I grew up in Dublin. And as a teenager, I would have been aware of gay spaces. I would have been aware of places where gay people could go, where they could congregate. The fact that there was something, a, a sort of a separate scene that they themselves inhabited, I would have had no knowledge of what happened in that space. Uh, was Did the same thing exist for you as a trans person? Were, were there places other, you know, when you were done reading the literature that you got from the Irish Family Planning mm -hmm. Association, were there places then that you could go to further study and learn and, and to, to be with other people? Well, you know, as it happens, I'm I'm a similar age to you. I, I'm fifty, so we're not we're not we're not that far apart in age. So, um, growing so I grew up outside of Dublin. So there weren't any places outside Dublin. So it was only when I sort of came into my you know late teens, early twenties that I started to sort of visit places in Dublin that cater to the trans community. And most of these were sort of places for. Um, you know, where you could just dress and present as the person you were. So I could dress and present as female. Um, you know, and these places offered. You know, you could you could sit down and you could have a coffee. You could you know watch a DVD or not a DVD, a video in those days. Mm -hmm. Um, but I would just go and I would you know get myself ready and then I would just head out head out outside and just you know just just wander around, do a bit of shopping, go to the cinema, just just do normal things. You know, um, because I lived outside Dublin, I. I didn't stay over, so therefore I didn't go to any of the clubs. Um, and most of the clubs would have been, would have been sort of the gay clubs, I think. You know that that trans people would have went to. There would have been 
there would have been nights that were that catered to the trans community. So it would have been gay pubs like you know I think the George and a few other places that actually catered um, maybe one night a week towards the trans community. But it wasn't really viable for me because I lived so far away. When you went on the bus back home to the town that you came from, uh, were you able? to keep those contacts going in terms of, you know, were you able to put sort of 10p in a phone box and talk to, to another trans person? Or was that were they two aspects of your life that you had to keep separated from one another? I sort of kept it separated. I mean, it, you know, I was always quite solitary, I suppose, and how I explored this for myself. Um, I didn't really hang around. For, for me, there was no community, so I didn't really hang around with any other trans people. Um, I sort of did my own thing. I just... Went out and about, um, you know, did a bit of shopping, went to the cinema, that sort of thing. So um, it wasn't really, I don't think I was comfortable enough speaking to other people about it, not even other trans people about it. So I pretty much explored it on my own, if you know what I mean. Um, I was quite, you know, quite private about it, I suppose. And when you're in that situation, when you're coming from a small town and you're coming up to Dublin, and you're you find yourself in gay clubs and talking to gay people something just struck me is that a sort of a marriage of convenience because you don't necessarily have a huge amount in common with them uh you know what i mean like i'm just wondering how much it would be possible to learn and to create a social circle when you're in gay clubs or would you sort of you know would you gravitate to other trans people in that social situation or were you just happy to be somewhere where you would could be left alone and just accepted um, pretty much the, uh, the latter. So, I mean, I wouldn't have gone to any gay clubs at the time because, um, again, you know, they would have happened at night. So yeah. I, I would have been on my way home by that by that point. Um, so, um, you know, so you know, the trans people I did meet in Dublin, in, in sort of in these in these places where you could dress and you could present as yourself, you know, they were just sort of, you know, fleeting meeting. You, you never met the same person twice generally. So. Um, you know, I tended to be quite solitary. I mean, I didn't want, for me, it was about just being myself and being myself meant doing ordinary things, you know, because mm. I never saw myself, I never wanted somebody to see me as trans. That might sound a bit strange, but I just wanted people to see me as a woman so that when I was out and about, um, you know, I would just dress in ordinary clothes. It wasn't about wearing massive high heels or anything like that. It was just, I would dress down rather than dress up and I would just do uh, ordinary things, you know, which is what, um, you know, what other women would have been doing of my age at the time, you know, at, at that time of day. So I was going out in broad daylight during the day rather than going out at night, you know. So um, I was very, I was very conscious of that fact. And, you know, at the time, I just didn't want people to think I was trans. I was, you know, I would have been embarrassed and ashamed to be thought of in that way. Mm. Um, I'm very, very conscious of the words I'm using and the language I'm using because, I, you know, to me it feels like a minefield. I don't want to upset you. I don't want to offend you. And yet I find myself not knowing what, you know, for people who listen to this podcast regularly, it's very unusual for me to be stuck for words. But how would you like people to, descri like to describe your journey of discovery, if we put it that way? How... You know, how would you like me if I was to talk about you to another person? What words, what phrases, what language should I use to to give credit to your experience and to pay due respect to your experience? Yeah, well, I suppose I mean, I, I am. Despite what I said um, on, uh, at the last question, I do see myself as a trans woman. I, I'm proud to be seen as a trans woman. So that's that's the label I go by. I'm not, I'm not ashamed of it anymore. Hmm. Um, and I suppose, um, you know, I suppose that. I, 
I always wonder, like, you know, people say, you know, when did you transition? But I always think that, you know, does one ever stop transitioning, if you know what I mean? Um, it, it's it's constantly a journey. Um, like, I'll always have to take um, hormones for the rest of my life. You know, that's that's part of my transition and part of my journey. Um, and so I suppose I just see myself as a trans woman and I'm just constantly, I'm just in a, in a transition phase, you know. So, and I always will be because I don't think one can ever have have transitioned i don't think there's a past tense to transition if you know mm, what i mean yeah it, there's always something on the horizon we always have to you know we always have to take hormones we always have to sort of add ourselves to medical people it's 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 constant you know there, there'll never be a moment i feel where i where yes where i take this back and go yes i have transitioned this is it yeah i'm finally here i don't think there is an end point mm. and if you think back to uh, how you were as as a child as a teenager and what you've gone through in the meantime, um, d- does this feel to you now like the Holy Grail? Have you reached where you want to be in your life? Are you happy and content with this? Uh, is this what you always wanted? Um, I think I'm happier now than I have ever been. Um, I'm much more content with myself. I'm sort of I'm happy in my own in my own being in my own body. Um, like there are still further steps along the line. Um, like surgery for example which I haven't had yet but I'm on, on the waiting list for mm. um, uh, but yeah I think for the first time um, in my god 50 years that I'm finally at a place where I can go yeah this this is who I am I mean it took me a long time to get here but I finally feel that yeah this this is the person I am you know and I, I'm just, and I'm just glad to be here because because mm. a lot of us don't even make it this far yeah. Um, there's that great Oscar Wilde quote that I seem to find myself using in every possible situation these days <laughs> about two tragedies in life one being not getting what you want and the other being getting it uh, the trans mm. issue is very much front row centre there's not a week goes by without some viral tweet or some idiot saying something about these things mm. uh, you know do you ever look back and say Jesus I wish people didn't talk this you know if they're going to be this ignorant about it I wish they didn't talk about it at all or do you welcome the fact that you know regardless of the fact that people are talking utter shit half the time that at least they're talking about it yeah i think it's a bit of a both it's a sort of double-edged sword um like when i first came out um i was very vocal about it i tweeted a lot about it so i've i've been quite um online about it if you know what i mean mm. um and i find it's a great way to educate people and i've a lot of people respond very favorably towards it and you know i've had an awful lot of support but then there's the other side where people can be very, very ignorant and can say horrible things. Um, and there are times where I just go, oh, I just wish, I, you know, there's times where I just wish I could just stop being Eva Martin, trans woman and activist. Mm. You're just being Eva Martin, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, like what for you know, one of the things I did. This was a while back. I I used to go to Slimming World and. I was just Aoife there, you know, nobody knew I was trans. I was just, I was just me. And I was just there with a bunch of other people mm. discussing similar issues. And I didn't have to go, Oh, well, you know, I'm trans and blah, 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 blah. It was just me talking about issues that other people had as well. You know, so that was, that was nice in a way, but for a lot of the time I'm, I'm Aoife Martin, trans woman and activist, and it, it can be quite exhausting, you know? Mm. Um, but that's a role I've sort of, painted myself into i suppose um 
it's something I do. It's something I'm proud to do because I just want to make it easier for people coming after me. Because uh, I know how tough it was growing up, not having any support and um, thinking you were the only person who felt this way. So the more of us who are vocal or who can be vocal and who are active about it, then that makes it much easier for you know young trans kids coming after us. And you know if we're put on this earth to do one thing, I think it's just to make life a little bit easier for, for those who come after us. But in the same way, Aoife, it's it's very difficult. Actually, it's not difficult. It's impossible to put the genie back in the bottle, right? Because you're you're a public figure now, whether you like it or not. You know, yep. online, you and I have never met, but online, you are one. You are an activist. You're a person who's known for this kind of thing. And it's very difficult for you to say, right, today I'm not answering questions about this. I just want to go and do laundry. I just want to go and hang out with my friends, whatever. So, you know, it's a 24-7 thing. You don't necessarily get to choose when somebody tweets something and you're asked to react or you're asked to respond. How do you deal with, not the positive aspects of it, because that's reasonably easy, but the negative aspects of it, when the pressure gets too much and when people start to abuse you and when, you know, the question that you've answered 50, 100, 500 times before gets too much, how do you deal with those things yeah i'm very i mean i i i, I just walk away you know I'm, mm. I'm i can just put the phone down and just say it right it's, it's just twitter just just walk away you don't need to do it go you know go for a swim watch a movie do something you know do something else and so i find you know just taking breaks from twitter sometimes really helps and um, sometimes i'll take you know i might take a week-long break from twitter and um, depending on how things are going and often i find myself just you know, there are, you know, you get a sense of when somebody is being genuine. If people are genuine, I'm more than happy to answer their questions. Mm. But sometimes you get people who will try and catch you out. Yeah. You know, and are trying to sort of, you know, and you get a good sense of when someone is genuine. So I, I will often ignore people who I think are being, you know, are, are trying to catch me out on something or trying to sort of, uh, who, are, who are turfs about it. Uh, that's mm. trans exclusionary radical feminists. Um, but generally, you know, I'm pretty open about who I am. I'm happy to answer questions. Um, I get a lot of private messages from people, you know, looking for information or or maybe they have, they have a trans child or a, a trans family member just looking for support or just someone to talk to. And I think that's hugely important. And yes, it can be very, very exhausting, but it can also be extremely rewarding. And um, just helping someone at the end of the day and just knowing that, you know, that those words of encouragement that you provide actually help someone it's really gratifying you know so it's something i do but it's also something i'm passionate about and mm. um, if i could ask you some of those questions and i'm asking you these things honestly now as i say i just want to mm. find out you know one of the points of this conversation for me is to learn how to write and to speak about your experience in a respectful way right so if we as journalists as people who don't know much about the issue if we describe people trans people as being born in the wrong body is that accurate is it offensive is it you know how would you describe what it is i'm trying to put words on there yeah, no, that's that's not a that's not a phrase that that, that should be used. I mean, it, it used to be there all the time, but uh, we've gone beyond using that phrase. So it is, it is sort of seemed as offensive these days. Mm -hmm. Um, like the phrase for me would be, you know, assigned male at birth. Yeah. The the phrase for a trans man would be assigned female at birth. So that's probably the best way to describe us. Um, like, you know, I've always been Aoife, I suppose, in a way. Mm -hmm. It's just that you know, I was assigned. A different gender at birth to what my brain <laughs> says i am you know mm. so um i think yeah that sort of assignation is the best way to describe it yeah 
I was watching a, a video there recently. I'm not sure if you're aware of an American basketball player called Dwayne Wade who just recently retired. And one of Dwayne's children is trans. And I'm looking at this uh, video about him and his wife. They're both talking about the child and the child is included in the video and that kind of thing, right? And he is, you know, this is a guy who's been a sort of a jock, an American athlete all mm. his life, one of the boys in the locker room, that kind of thing. And to me, I have a huge amount of respect for him because of the fact he's going, look, at, I'm a parent. I don't know a whole lot about this, but I'm I, like, I'm, I'm loving my child. I'm trying to help them through, uh, through this, whatever it is they decide to do. But in one way, the story shouldn't really be about him. The story should be about the child, if you get what I uh, what I mean. Yeah. Are there ways that uh, transgender people or transgender issues are framed that really annoy you, or that are deeply inaccurate, or that we should keep an eye out for as editors and journalists? Yeah, I think that's a good point. I mean, I think um, you know there is there is a certain narrative that you see in the media where um, you know told you know born a boy but now a girl sort of thing. Mm. Um, also, you know, they will they will use a, a trans person's dead name so that that's the name they they, they were given um when they were born mm. um they will also do inevitably they will they will have a before and after photograph so they'll have you know if it's a trans woman normally it's a you know they'll show a picture of their of what they were before like so possibly them with a beard or something mm. and then how they look now dressed really glamorously so to show a massive sort of difference between the two and um, you know that's you know that's a very cliched narrative it's it can be very very you know, it, yeah, it can it can sort of piss me off quite a bit, and I know a lot of the trans community don't like that sort of narrative. You see it a lot in lot in, in tabloid newspapers, um. So that kind of thing, you know, and you know, using using our dead names, using the wrong sort of language, you know, you know, I think if you're going to write about about trans people, then then you know, be a little bit more respectful and just and just learn what the terms are, you know, and use the proper pronouns. It's 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 not that hard, you know. Mm. Um, is there anything in terms of you know we we've talked about that being born in the wrong body and that misconception mm. that way of expressing oneself? Is there anything else when you pick up your newspaper on the way to work each day or when you you know check on into your Twitter account? Is there anything else that jumps off the page at you as just being wrong and yet you know ostensibly well-meaning people still say these things? What what are the pitfalls that people like me are making every day? I suppose is what I'm asking. Yeah, well, I suppose. Um... There are terms like sort of transsexual is used quite a bit sometimes, and mm. that's well, some some trans people accept that. Um, it is quite outmoded and outdated. Trans woman, I think, is a much more you know embracing term and much more you know, it's it's a much warmer term, I suppose. Mm. And also, like if we're talking in terms of linguistics, um, I suppose um, if you're going to if you're going to you know write out trans woman it, it's two words it's trans and woman so it's yeah. you know trans is a, it's an adjective whereas i've seen i've seen people use trans woman as all one word so i mean that's that's generally used to other us and to because you know these people don't see us as women so they just write trans woman all one word you know mm -hmm. so i've seen that quite a lot in the anti-trans movement you know mm -hmm. um so uh, yeah i think linguistically speaking it's, it's it's important to get the terms right and um, just just to be careful around those things and and pronouns I think are very very important because um you know they're part of our identity and we've had to fight to get these pronouns and to be there uh, to be who we are you know so if you're going to talk about us use our pronouns you know 
you're—I'm guessing, Aoife, that you're kind of from, but like, but this is a typical dub thing to say now, right? But everybody outside of Dublin is like small town Ireland. But um, if you think back to the place that you came from and the church that people went on a Sunday morning and that kind of thing, um, how do you do? You have any sympathy for the difficulty that they will have in getting their heads around the, this issue? You know, I'm not asking you to be accepting of of anything or that kind of thing. But you know, can mm. you have any sort of sympathy for people who are not necessarily? I mean, some people are just going to be mean about it they're just going to be bastards whatever mm. way you know but how do you see that and you know coming from the culture that you grew up in have you any understanding for that or is it time for them to get in the game as well i think it's a bit of both i, I do i do have some sympathy because you know it took me a long time to get my head around it and it took me a long time to accept myself for who i was so i don't expect people to get it straight away um but I think people have to put in a little bit of effort as well. You know, it's it shouldn't be the onus shouldn't just be on on the trans person to <clears throat> to constantly explain themselves. Mm. Um, like I I can get quite belligerent about it and say, look, you know, I'm I'm not here to explain to people who I am. I am who I am, and you should accept me for who I say I am. You know, mm. so I don't need, I shouldn't have to justify myself. Is is what I'm saying, I guess. Mm. But I also realized that I need to be a bit patient with people as well, um, that it isn't easy. Not everybody gets it. And, you know, and I will try my best to, you know, to talk to people and to explain it. Um, but there will come a point where I'll just say, nope, no more. I've done, you know, I'm done explaining. So, you know, uh, can we move on to the next topic? You know, so mm. I think I think it's a bit of both. You know, I think we just have to be a little bit cognizant of the fact that, you know, this you know this isn't easy on either side i suppose but mm. you know at the end of the day um you know it's not about you i mean everybody should just be willing to listen to 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 the trans person um mm. that you know this isn't about anyone else other than them you know yeah. this is their story they're you know they're the ones who've had to fight against society and fight against the system to be themselves and people should it should accept that you know and not and not make life more difficult for them. It's amazing the sort of the, the visceral response that comes from some people. And I'm thinking in particular, like I know certain people have walked in pride parades and that kind of thing, and who would be absolutely accepting of people who are gay. But when it comes to trans people, all of a sudden they have a difficulty with it, as if mm. we're back to that thing of, you know, that it's something that somebody chooses to do rather than something that yeah. somebody is, you know. And that's, you know, but I often wonder that, their reaction is so visceral that I would have no again I would place no obligation on you to even deal with that reaction because that's sort of their problem at the same time as I kind of feel you know that there's uh, what they call a learning moment there for them as well but again that can't be sort of imposed on you how do you deal with that do you instantly walk away when people are aggressive towards you or when people just dump out the usual you know the, like I said the questions you've answered a million times already or you know again how do you sort of read them and say okay this might be a person I can work with does that happen um, it, it rarely happens I mean I, I rarely get any sort of aggro um, when am I publicly? Um, I don't know if that's because people don't realize I'm trans or not, or, you know, I, I'm quite a confident person. So I think that confidence sort of, um, I, you know, I think I exude that sort of confidence. So people don't question that I have a right to be where I am or dressed or dressed the way that I am. Um, and, you know, I think if, if it did happen, it, I guess it depends on the situation, like where, where it would happen and when, and, um, you know, if if I thought it was worth speaking with the person, I would, but I'd be equally happy just to walk away, you know. Um, 
um, it's it's difficult enough without without people giving giving aggro over us, you know. And, and I'm sort of lucky in that I'm not a tall person, so I'm I'm, I'm sort of I'm five foot six, so I don't stand out. Mm. Whereas there are lots of trans women who do, like to be over six foot, yeah. and you know, there are plenty of non-trans women over six foot, and even they would draw attention to themselves because they're so tall. But for for trans women, it's even more so, you know. So I'm I guess I'm sort of lucky in in that I'm, I'm small and I don't stand out, but um, I'm still, still quite happy to fight my corner as well, you know? One of the battlegrounds that comes up when this uh, this subject is, is talked about in the public domain, I always hear it coming back to children and to teenagers and to, mm. you know, the fucking Helen Lovejoy from The Simpsons, you know, won't somebody think of a children thing. <laughs> and you know, I want to ask you, because, like, you know, mm. as a person who's in it, I mean, you're a 50-year-old woman now, but you weren't always. Like, you were a child at one mm. point, you were a teenager at one point. Um, my opinion would be around the kids, obviously I live in Stockholm in Sweden, and the kids that I see who are trans now, they have a courage to come out that you know people before didn't have. They didn't feel that it would be accepted for them to come out and that kind of thing. How do you see that? How do you feel about that being the battlefield, that we take young, vulnerable people and we, we turn them into the weapons of war in this discussion? Yeah, I think... Um... I think that's yeah that that that's an issue in that um, I think we have to support our trans kids. I think that's the first thing, um, and um, it's 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 just so important to listen to the child um, and to listen to what they want. Um, you know, there's all sorts of allegations and rumors and lies being spread about um, trans kids in the media about them getting you know getting operations and getting medication and all sorts of things and that just doesn't happen you know it's um, if you know the healthcare system in this country it's it's you know it's very very difficult to to get hormones in the first place mm. even for an adult you know the waiting list is huge um, and it just doesn't happen with kids you know so i think the important thing is to listen to your listen to your child you know and you know kids kids can sort of experiment when they're younger and you know and might not necessarily be trans, but if your child is telling you that they are trans, then you know you have to listen because it isn't going to go away. Mm. And it's better to have a happy child who is able to be themselves and have supportive parents than a child who isn't. You know, um, and you know, even trans kids with supportive parents, it's a very very difficult road that they have ahead of them mm. you know it is even with all that support behind them because society pushes back against us you know schools other kids everything you know, you know there are so many blockages along that road and you know i wouldn't wish it on anybody but mm. if your child is trans then you know you really need to listen to them and you really need to support them in every way you can maybe one of the things that you might be able to clear up for me is you know the uh, the puberty blockers come up a lot mm. right and i've seen them described as you know tools of the devil and i've also seen them described as absolutely essential to the survival of children until the age of 16 17 18 and that kind of thing until surgery until other hormones become an option and um, you're a person obviously with far deeper knowledge of this than me is there anything that you can give me that might enlighten me about the use of puberty blockers in ireland and in other places yeah um i yeah well i mean obviously i'm i'm on puberty blockers or, or they're not obviously not puberty blockers but they are you know they are blockers testosterone blockers um so the thing with those is that um it's again in ireland it's very very difficult 
to get them for, for children. Um, so I think, you know, there's a, you know, it can take years. So you know, we need to listen to, to the medical advice that we're given. Um, puberty blockers are pretty much harmless. They will stop puberty um, while the person is taking them. And if for whatever reason, a child says, well, actually, no, um, I, I'm not trans, and they they can come off the blockers and, you know, puberty will, will commence, you know. So they're not the sort of the devil's, you know, the, the devil's medicine that people keep saying they are. Um, but, you know, it is it is medicine, like like all like all medical things. It comes with side effects, you know, like, like the aspirin we take, it comes with side effects, you know. So, you know, they should only be taken in conjunction with, with, with your uh, medical professional, you know, so it's not something I would advocate unless there is, you know, a medical professional involved. So you, people need to be very, very careful around that, you know. And I'm assuming that um, when it comes to prescribing things like that to children, to young people, to adults, that there's a fairly rigorous process. It's not like you're going to yep. rock up to your your GP in Letterkenny or whatever, and all of a sudden <laughs> they're going to send you home with a no. lifetime supply of this, right? Yeah, no, it's, it's it's very rigorous. It probably it, it takes years. Like it took it took years for me to get onto to get onto blockers. Um, and you, your GP cannot prescribe them, so I have to go to the um to my endocrinologist every six months, um, to get my prescription renewed. Um, and you know they they do blood tests and they check everything and then they will renew my prescription. So it's it's not an easy process. And you know it took years and it took psych, psych evaluations as well just just to get to that point where I was actually given medication. You know so this isn't something that is done you know on a whim. So um, you know kids kids go to I think it's it's Cromlin here in Dublin where where they'll they'll go for um, to the gender clinic in Cromlin and. Um, I'm not sure if they prescribe blockers or not. I don't actually know, but you know there is a rigorous process there. You know, so they could be seeing you know the, those medical professionals for years before they'll get put onto anything. You know, so and it's the same with adults because the waiting list is so long, um, and they make us go through a psychiatric evaluation as well. So it's it, it's you know it's quite a rigorous and very very difficult process. So it's not something that we would get from our GP. It's it's not an easy process at all. You know. Mm-hmm. One of the things that was, you know, when I was thinking that I was going to be talking to you and I wanted to have as many questions as possible so we can get them all out of the way now and put this to bed once and for all. But um, <laughs> do you think the fact that when people think of of, uh, of trans people and they think of surgery and that kind of thing, that, you know, they, like me as a man, I, I would see it as being an extremely invasive not not a violent procedure, but it's something that would change and change utterly. And like you know, that that would you know, I could never see myself doing it. But then I'm not a trans person, you know. Do you think that that is something that sort of you know, it's it's almost like that scares them off that they can't even consider Eva Martin doing that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think that can be you know, even you know, even I'm sort of wincing just thinking about it, you know, because it's mm. it's not it's not an easy process. Um, like and you know, I have to be clear that not not every trans person for surgery you know yeah. it's it's not you know to be a trans woman you don't have to have surgery it's it's you know it's it's just one of the it's one of the options available to you if that's what you want if yeah. that's what you decide you know and you know it's not a decision anybody comes to lightly you know because you know it's it's quite invasive it's you know it's and all all surgery comes with risks you know so there are a lot of protocols in place before you even get to the point where you'll be given surgery, you know. Mm. So, um, and yeah, I think people might be squeamish about it, but that's, you know, that's on them, you know. Um, 
any trans person who has had surgery has thought long and hard about it before they got it. You know, it's not something that, again, it's not something we decide on a whim. Um, one of the things that's come up lately, you know, I'm kind of trying to keep people's names out of it just so that we don't have to offer them the right mm. of the reply and that kind of thing. But it has to do with social media and it has to do mm. with if you follow this person and they are TERFs or they're transphobic or that kind of thing, well, then I, I don't want to follow you. I don't, I don't want to be friends with you. You know, kind of people are nailing their colours to certain masts. Uh, how do you feel about that? Because, you know, you want people to be allies. You want mm. journalists and editors to be understanding. But, are, you know, is that, you know, a hill you wish to die on so to speak or can you see a reason why people might want to follow these it might be an athlete it might be you know a, a comic it mm. might be a, a singer or whatever you know yeah well i mean um <laughs> it's funny you should ask that because i was just uh, I was in the center of sort of a twitter storm this weekend over, over this very issue mm. you know there's a certain um again i'm not, not going to name names because i don't want to give this person the right to reply but you know there's a certain sort of person in the uk who is extremely transphobic and whose twitter timeline is is wall-to-wall transphobia and you know i took a stance this weekend where i said that um i was going to unfollow any of my followers who are following this person and you know that's something i that i personally decided to do and um um i also said that i you know i didn't i didn't name anybody i didn't say well i'm unfollowing this person and this person and this person i says you know follow who you want but i'm just letting you all know that i will unfollow anybody who follows this person you know and um i hope that's okay with you but that's that's just the way it is because this person i don't want them to be get to be getting sort of the numbers that they're getting they have a huge twitter following like they have over 600,000 followers and their their timeline is just wall to wall anti trans and you're drawing a line in the sand at this point I'm just drawing a line in the sand saying um, I just can't follow anybody who follows this person because if if you see what this person is tweeting why why would you follow him what Mm. you know what good does it serve all you're doing is boosting this person's numbers so I said no no more this is this is my line in the sand and you know be that what it is but Mm. of course you know everybody's free to follow who they want to and people if they don't like that stance they're, they're free to unfollow me as well you know mm. I go back to sort of an earlier episode of this podcast probably a, a year or more ago I was talking to an American academic called Whitney Phillips and she's written a paper about the oxygen of amplification which is about social mm. media and it's it's exactly that thing it's like you know the more people that they can reach and that their followers reach and that kind of thing that all of a sudden these becomes big things and if you take you know the, mm. so the whole transphobia thing out of it if you look at uh, recent elections in the UK and Ireland and in the US and so small small you know I mean the far right here was nothing when I moved to Sweden in 1999 and now they're up to 20-25% because of the same and these are the same mechanics these are the same systems Mm. that are in place um, all over the place but if we get back to the actual sort of mainstream media right there's two things would you ever say you were invited onto a talk show right it's prime time and you're invited on but you know that there's going to be another person there presenting you know questioning your very right to existence uh, do you have any you know any inclination to go to go into that coliseum or are you done with that kind of confrontational debate yeah no i'm pretty much done with that um i would avoid such confrontations um mainly for the fact that you know there are no winners in it you know um also the fact that you know my life is not up for debate yeah. I'm, I'm not going to debate my existence with anybody else you know um like i was invited on to a radio show oh, uh, that would have been over a year ago um to discuss an issue around transgender children and the other participant was going to be Gemma o'darty and 
I just said, no, I'm not, you know, mm. I, you know, well, what does Jim O'Doherty know about this issue? I'm, I'm certainly not going to, you know, go on a show and, and debate the issue with somebody like her, you know, mm. so... Gemma is, um, uh, for those listeners outside of Ireland, she's a uh, she, former journalist. I wouldn't say she's doing too much journalism anymore, but has become a sort of a far right uh, or attempted to become a far right icon in Ireland and failed, thankfully, at several recent elections. But yeah, so she would have, in your experience, she would have no expertise. She would have nothing to offer but bile, basically. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, she ended up going on the show anyway and doing it herself, but there was nobody there to, you know, there was no other, no trans person. Um, to represent the other side mm. and that's you know i sort of felt a little bit guilty that there was nobody there to sort of challenge what she was saying or to counter what she was saying but you know again we have we have to draw a line somewhere because um you know the media feeds off this kind of thing and um but we're you know we're not here for people's entertainment you know i'm not mm. i'm not here to be debated and you know i'm not certainly certainly not here to, to debate my life or my existence with with the likes of, of Gemma O'Doherty, you know so um i think you know the media needs to be cognizant of this and needs to be very very careful about what they're doing because you know giving these people a platform just inflames the hate and just gives them publicity that they don't deserve you know are you nervous when a friend a family member a colleague at work sends you a link to an article about trans people like do you click at that and go jesus i hope it's not this person that person i hope it's not this framing or do you feel now that you know you can take part uh, in the media uh, you know and feel respected as a, as a trans woman and that kind of thing or where is it at the moment does it just instill fear or do you feel comfortable doing it yeah no i'm pretty comfortable like i'm i'm i wouldn't sort of call myself a you know i wouldn't call myself a, me- a media performer or anything like that um but i've done enough sort of panels and um, I've done a few podcasts and I've done um, a few radio interviews and I'm sort of comfortable in in what I have to say and in and in who I am as a person um and you know my at the end of the day I'm I'm just here to educate and to or to try and educate and hope to give people a you know a bit better understanding around transgender issues and transgender people and I just you know I just want to make it just a little bit easier for those of us you know for those who can't speak and those who don't have a voice you know um because there's, you know, um, there's a lot of trans people out there who just live their lives quietly and are happy to do so, and you know, they don't want to get embroiled in any of this. They just want to just, you know, be themselves and just just get on with their lives and do the day-to-day normal boring shit that everybody else does, you know. And you know, there are times when I wish I could I could do that, and I wish I I wasn't as outspoken as I am. But you know, like you said, that that horse is as well and truly bolted <laughs> at this stage, you know. So um, I've sort of accepted that sort of role if you, if you know what i mean um and i'm happy to to continue doing that and just just talking about the trans experience because you know like i said there was nothing like that when i was growing up and you know the more trans people we have um on our media the more normalized it becomes the more usual it becomes and the more people will just shrug their shoulders and go oh okay it's just another trans person you know so it shouldn't be a big deal uh, we'll fast forward to next weekend it's Saturday morning you go out you buy the newspaper you go to your favourite cafe for breakfast because you know that in the supplement there's going to be a profile of a trans person that you've written right uh, how would that look what would you mention about that person what would you not mention what do you think is important and not important to cover when talking about trans people specifically one individual you know what, what would you t- what would you take out of their story and what would you choose to leave out what's not interesting to you 
Oh, that's a very good question. I mean, I just want to know about their their just just their life in general. Um, like you know, I suppose the normal things you want to know about anybody else. Like you know, are they married? Do they have kids? Um, you know, what what do they like to do in their spare time? Um, the sort of question you would just ask any other person. You know, is this a cisgender person? And um, because you know, there's a the whole thing around sort of a trans narrative um, that you know uh, the journey as we call it you mm. know where um, you know and we talk about you know oh when did you come out and did you come out at work and who did you tell and blah 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 and, and that's that's interesting um, to everybody else but it's not interesting to me generally as, as a trans person because I've been there and I've read all I've seen all these stories and mm. I've I've you know I've, I've lived that part so I can Ch- see why it's the name of the town and the mother and it's pretty much all the same. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I I want to know what what what's this person finds passionate. You know, what are they passionate about? What you know, what drives them? And you know, how are they living their life? That sort of thing, rather than you know the whole sort of coming out narrative. Um, but but that's just me because I'm I'm used to those sort of stories. Whereas I think you know the wider community isn't or the wider sort of cisgender community isn't um and you know they like to see those stories so you know if it was if it was me personally then yeah just tell me more about yourself and tell me about your passions and what you liked what you dislike you know are you interested in film or books or sport or whatever just you know tell me a bit more about yourself you know what do you want to do do you want to travel that sort of thing that you would you know that you would see from anybody else i suppose If, if we take a timeline of one to a hundred and uh, just in terms of where we are now in terms of uh, understanding of trans issues where are we now and how long is it going to take until you know the man or the woman in the street has a full understanding of trans issues do you think yeah i think that that's a hard question to answer because i think um a lot of countries have been going a little bit backwards in terms of trans issues um you know if you look at places like the uk and the us um where you know their governments have sort of lurched to the right um so and they're rolling back a lot of the rights that trans people had uh, there's been this huge debate in the uk over self-identification which we've had here in ireland for five years now you know um ireland believe it or not is one of the better countries in which to be trans um our healthcare system needs a lot to be desired but certainly socially we are much more advanced than than many countries we're one of the few countries in the world that um, allow trans people to self-identify um, so I think I think we have a long long way to go yet I think trans rights are where gay rights were about 30 years ago hmm. so um, if if we say that you know we can't even say that gay rights are, are 100% at the moment hmm. um, so we have at least at least 30 years ago if not more Um you know, despite having um, marriage equality, there's still a lot of issues around homophobia and how we treat how we treat the gay community. So I think when it comes to the trans community, there's still you know we've a lot done, uh, but we still have an awful lot left to do. Thank you so much for talking to me. My pleasure. Yeah.